Welcome to Biblical Foundations, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm your co-host, Jimmy Rowe, along with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Join us as we discuss issues in biblical scholarship for the church. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. I'm here with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Today, our guest is Dr. Robert Yarbrough. Dr. Yarbrough is professor of New Testament at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He is the author and editor of numerous volumes, including Clash of Visions, Populism and Elitism in New Testament Theology, authored by Dr. Yarbrough and published by Christian Focus in 2019. Dr. Yarbrough, it's great to have you on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yes, Bob. Uh, what a treat to have you in our podcast today. Thanks for joining us. And of course, uh, for our listeners, Dr. Yarbrough um, is also uh, going to be our lecturer for the Sizemore Lectures uh, next spring, February 2021. Uh, now, Bob, as I reflected uh, on, on our history uh, together, I think we've known each other uh, for close to 30 years and have worked together on various projects along the way uh, related to Adolf Schlatter, of course, the Swiss-German theologian, the role of women in the church, and, and others. So, uh, gospel, of, gospel of John and, and yes. many Johannine things. That's right. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell our listeners a bit about, you know, who might not be familiar with you, uh, about your background, your studies at uh, Aberdeen, time at Wheaton, Trinity, Covenant, and so forth. Uh, before we, uh, you know, discuss some of your work. Okay. Uh, you know, short short bio would be um, I, I had a, uh, a salvation experience as a nine-year-old in a Southern Baptist church, and it didn't go much of anywhere until after I got married when mm-hmm. I was 19. And uh, at that point, my wife joined me in the Christian faith, and, and we were living in Montana, and I was a timber feller. I was a logger, and I did that for five years out there. My wife did nurses training, and we grew in Christian faith. And uh, I began uh, lay ministry, bivocational ministry, eventually, but realized I didn't know anything about the Bible. So eventually, I quit logging and went to school at Southwest Baptist College in Bolivar, Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. Went back logging. Still realized I didn't know much about the Bible. And so then went to Wheaton grad school and at that point really got hooked on biblical studies. So I ended up going to the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And uh, when I graduated from there in 85, um, I was called to teach at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. I was there for two years. Then I went to Wheaton College, which um, called me back there after my MA. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there from 86. Seven to ninety-one. Then I came to Covenant Seminary uh, in ninety-one through ninety-six. I went to Trinity in Deerfield from ninety-six till two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. And then in two thousand ten, uh, my wife and I moved back to Covenant. Uh, my parents needed some help, and so we've been here uh, caring for them. And uh, I continue teaching as a New Testament scholar. That sounds or great. scholar wannabe. I don't, I don't know if anybody considers me a scholar, but um, <laughs> at least I teach the Greek and New Testament. Dr. Cosper knows that I was a student at Trinity. I did my end of there, too, and mm-hmm. I remember uh, that was during your tenure at, at Trinity. So I do remember taking Greek, and I would put you in the in the category of scholar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. you. You should say that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've recently published a book, Clash of Visions, Populism and Elitism in New Testament Theology. 
I believe originally those were lectures you delivered at Southern Seminary. Um, yes. And in that book, you contrast critical and confessional scholarship, or as you call it, elitist and populist scholarship. Uh, can you define these terms for our listeners? And uh, what is the basic premise and thesis of your book? Well, the premise is, is that uh, there are two contrasting ways that the Bible is approached in the world today. And people need to understand these contrasting approaches because uh, if they don't, it, it contributes to a lot of confusion and uh, sometimes destabilization uh, in Christian faith. And the basic premise really grows out of, uh, of an observation. And that observation is that on the one hand, uh, according to the Center for the Global Study of Christianity at, at Gordon-Conwell, uh, you have 90,000 Christians a year dying from persecution. Mm -hmm. So that's 247 Christians a day, year after year, die because of their Christian confession. And of course, uh, many of them would die in connection with believing the truth of the Bible. Um, there, there's a general framework that holds true for most Christian believers through all centuries, and, and whether you're Orthodox or whether you're Catholic or whether you're Protestant, whether you're uh, evangelical or maybe align yourself in some other way, things like uh, the Trinity, the Incarnation, uh, the miracles that the Bible talks about, uh, the need for new birth through renewal by the Holy Spirit, through receiving the gospel, uh, and the inspired authoritative scripture. You know, these are things that characterize Christian belief, and, and they tend to characterize the convictions of people that are willing to die rather than uh, deny Christ um, or, or, you know, fail to, to stand up for being a Christian. I'm thinking of people in Nigeria who, who are killed every day um, simply because they, they refuse to, you know, lower their, their Christian flag, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, you have uh, the most influential group of biblical readers in the world in another sense. They're, they're the guild of international Bible scholars that dominate universities, many colleges, many seminaries, and most of them reject this Christian reading of Scripture. And in fact, a lot of the work they do undermines the understanding of the Bible that, that the martyrs affirm. Uh, I taught for from 1995 until 2012, so the better part of 20 years in in Sudan, in Khartoum, Sudan, where there were martyrs, and uh, the Muslim apologists there love they love Western biblical scholarship because so much of it was destructive of the Bible's claims to be true. So you've got this martyr approach that's in line with the Bible's self-understanding mm -hmm. as the saving word of God, and it reflects the conviction of churches across cultures and through the centuries, and, you know, Midwestern Seminary and Covenant Seminary here in St. Louis, where I teach. That, that's one approach. But then there's the approach of the cultural elites who think they know better than Jesus and the Gospels, who, who naively they would say, believe the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and who act like they're superior to average believers who don't have technical training, you know, who haven't been to university, who haven't learned what, uh, you know, scientifically informed people believe mm 
mm. about the Bible. So I, I call this uh, populist on the one hand mm-hmm. and elitist on the other. It's really fascinating, Bob. Uh, you know, I'm increasingly writing for the church and for, you know, people you might classify as populists that, you know, as I was working on on a recent book, The Jesus of the Gospels, it, it, it gradually just dawned on me that, that scholars in many ways have been the problem. We've uh, driven a wedge between, uh, you know, a believing reading of the Gospels and, 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 and exalting Jesus. And, you know, what, a, what an incredible indictment uh, that scholars whose calling really is to, to help people understand the Gospels and, and to trust Jesus have actually in many ways, uh, you know, in effect, had the exact opposite effect. And, you know, a second example, you and I both recently, last couple of years, have published commentaries on the on the so-called pastoral epistles, you know, a very fine commentary of yours in the in the Pillar a New Testament series. And and I like the approach you take there to basically just stay close to the text. And uh, again, when you think about pastoral scholarship, you know, in that more elitist vein, you know, vast majority uh, disputing uh, even Pauline authorship. And, mm-hmm. you know, or even the idea that, you know, I'm working on a biblical theology right now. So, you know, understanding Paul's 13 letters essentially as missionary documents that arose from a given, you know, context in church planning. And you think, I mean, how different that is from some of the questions that, that, elitist scholars are asking, in most cases, they're not interested in missions or in church planning, you know, and so there's such an incredible gulf between elitist and populist. So a couple quick questions to follow up on those labels, elitist and populist. Uh, First one is, why do you use the term elitist, say, rather than the more common expression, historical critical? And with regard to populist, populist usually has a negative connotation, doesn't it? So you use it in a more positive sense. Maybe you could respond to those two label-related questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was trying to be a little bit controversial in, in these titles because, you know, I was going to Southern to give, uh, you know, a lecture series. And right. um, so, so a little bit of it for rhetorical effect. Yeah, but um, I was I was trying to get hold of some labels that were true from the standpoint of uh, the facts on the ground, and especially from the standpoint of the people involved. From the standpoint of the elitists, there are these unsophisticated, kind of unworthy people out there that are not really. Um, Often they're they're not even worth interacting with, and you know you and I know about the ostracism in the academy. Yeah. Many times, uh, if if your if your publications with certain uh, publishers, you're not even going to get cited. Mm-hmm. And so, um, people are treated like populists, you know, kind of like low life people that are not intellectually attuned. Um, so that's what I, I was just mm-hmm. trying to capture yeah. how people are viewed. The martyr church is really not talked about in, mm-hmm. in the biblical studies academy. It's like, 
Okay, so what? Ten people die every hour of the day for Christian faith. We still think that the Bible's not true, and and we're not really concerned about, you know, uh, this uh, really humanitarian issue as well as a a uh, a religious issue. But to, to go to the term elitist and historical critical, first, um, you know, I don't use historical critical in this book because. Um, you know, I understand the history of it. And, and 200 years ago, um, historical critical meant non-traditional. And uh, it was a, a at least an attempt to be courageous and to be daring and to break free of the constraints of ecclesial authority, mm-hmm. especially in Germany. So they were critical. Yeah. But, you know, for generations now, historical critical thinking has become like its own church. Mm. It, and it's very traditional. It's not courageous and, and brave. And, and I would refer mm-hmm. anybody who is interested, you mentioned Pastoral Epistles commentaries, mm-hmm. uh, read Luke, Tum- Luke Timothy Johnson's Anchor Bible Commentary on First and Second Timothy. Read his section where he traced out the history of the study of their pastoral epistles mm-hmm. and how the view that Paul did not write the pastorals became authoritative and really unquestionable in the academy for over a century now. Mm-hmm. So that's not, in my mind, that's not critical, because I don't want to use critical mm-hmm. of a hermeneutical posture that is uncritical of itself. Yeah, it's not self-critical. Right. So that's why I don't use the term historical critical, because I, I don't want to dignify them with something that's not really true of their view. Uh, I use elitist to highlight a negative side. To the scholarly study of the Bible, mm-hmm. and of course, if if elite if a elitist means well, what the elite uh, view is in terms of the very best and truest, well, then you know we all want to be elitist in that sense. We want we want the yeah. truest reading. But um, the negative side of of the historical critical or the elitist approach is that uh, they have defined historical critical thinking in such a way that it conceals their own dogmatic agenda in how they handle the Bible. And an example is, you know, throughout the Bible, there are claims to miracles. And Christ's resurrection from the dead would be a classic example. Mm -hmm. But the historical critical method, as you know, Andreas, in Mm -hmm. its classic form, rejects the possibility of miracles. Mm -hmm. And so this approach calls itself critical and says, well, look, we're just applying a scientific method to the data. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus' resurrection in this in this method is called a myth that never happened mm-hmm. because our scientific age knows such things can't be true. But it, we, it's not because of a method or because um, of some new scientific insight. This is just a skeptical premise that you can trace all the way back to Celsus in the second century yeah. and forward to deism in Europe in the 17th and 18th centuries. Mm-hmm. And it's in postmodernism today. Yeah. So I'm trying to highlight how scholars who doubt the Bible's truth separate themselves from the unsophisticated and elevate themselves over people, mm-hmm. some of whom are quite scholarly themselves, like, say, Alvin Plantinga, they mm-hmm. elevate themselves over both the Bible and the Bible's saving message. Um, 
and this isn't historical critical, which would imply empirical or, or scientific warrant, it's really sociological. Yeah. Elitists know better because they're smarter, they have technical training, they hold the social authority of high positions in education and in publishing and often in church structures. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more of a, of a sociological positioning of themselves rather than the result of you know, historical, critical scholarship uh, in itself or, or the facts on the ground. Yeah, I really like that you get into the sociology as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, others have done the same, even people like Derrida and deconstructionists have, have understood at least that there's this very important, uh, you know, sociological dimension in, in academic life and in, in academic work. Um, and it's not just a, uh, you know, a uh, detached, uh, you know, quest for truth. Uh, there's a lot of uh, other social uh, dynamics that, that, that often really are driving that, that whole enterprise. And I think, uh, honestly, uh, have, have made me a bit jaded about about the academy uh, and, you know, the extent to which my own scholarship uh, ought to really be more for the church than, uh, you know, for, for that, uh, you know, establishment, scholarly establishment. I think that, that's a, uh, an issue that a lot of us uh, who went to university, you know, for, for one set of reasons, and, and often, you know, we hope to affect the university. Um, and I've, all my life, I've, I've interacted with students and sometimes colleagues who so, say, you know, I want to mm-hmm. go and represent the Christian view in the university. I've known a number of my colleagues, they've gotten their PhDs, they've gone to the universities, and, and they finally left because they said, you know, uh, nobody cares for a Christian view of things, and there's pressure on me all the time mm-hmm. uh, not to say what, what Christians uh, see when they, when they do biblical analysis. So they, they go back to a, uh, a Christian college or a Christian seminary. So mm-hmm. at least they'll have some students that are interested in, in what they think mm-hmm. is the most mm-hmm. important thing in the world. And, and that's the word of God as the Bible reveals it. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's interesting. We even had uh, a former student of mine at Southeastern who went to Cambridge, uh, you know, transplanted his whole family there to study over there. And uh, six months later, he decided he was instead going to come and study with me here at Midwestern, uh, which obviously is a vast gulf in terms of, you know, academic uh, reputation, if you will. But but he decided that he wanted to study with someone who actually believed the Bible, uh-huh. not with people who kind of, you know, in an elitist fashion, uh, engaged in biblical scholarship. And, and I think you're really... Uh, doing a great job in, in, in contrasting those two ways. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. For more information, please visit the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern at cbs.mbts.edu. For further resources, please also visit biblicalfoundations.org. Please join us again next time at the Biblical Foundations podcast.